I'm just kidding. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our God is an awesome God. And He's faithful. And He's good. And He loves us. Hallelujah. Well, I'm so happy to be here today. Uh, it's a real honor and a real privilege to be here. And uh, I feel very humbled just to be able to share God's Word, what God is saying here in Malaysia to watch such an awesome group of people. And so I hope I don't fall off these steps. But if I do, you guys can pray for me. <laughs> I just want to say, you know, you are a great people here. And you're just really a valuable, valuable people here in this country. And I just really, just getting to visit with David these last couple of days has been really difficult. I mean, really good. <laughs> That's probably what he's going to tell you when I leave. No, <laughs> no I, just to get to hear his heart and just to see what God is doing here and the vision that he has and the passion that he has that he has, it's just really amazing, and, and he's given me four different sermons I'm going to go back and preach, <laughs> maybe five before it's over, hallelujah, well, thank you again, my wife sends her greetings, she says she wished she could be here, she was telling me this morning how she wished she could be here, she loves this place, she loved here the last time, and so maybe next time she can come. And then also our church in Oklahoma sends their greetings. And they are praying for you guys. And we're believing all together for one of the greatest moves the world has ever seen. Everywhere. Amen. Everybody. There's so many people all over the world believing God for a really awesome move. And I believe this is because God is stirring in the hearts of many people all over the world to pray and intercede and believe for this move of God that's greater than ever move, any other move in history all over the world. Amen? Hallelujah. Earlier I was outside and I was talking to someone and suddenly I felt the Lord just speak this. This is not my word, but I feel I need to share this. Is, um, you, there's a story in the Bible where... The disciples had went out and sowed some seeds, and then they'd went to sleep. And then while they was asleep, the enemy came and sowed tares. And then when they woke up, they said, Lord, we did, well, how did this happen? What is going on? I mean, we planted, we planted wheat, but now there's tares in there. How did this happen? And the Lord said, that enemy has done this. And you know, years ago, back in those days, they, what they did for, to like buy crops and buy food and buy different merchandise is they used crops for like bartering with. And the, the landowner, if he had wheat, he would want that wheat to be as valuable as it could possibly be. So he would want his soil to have nothing in it, no weeds, nothing, only the good soil and the wheat. So every nutrition from that soil could go into that wheat and make it very valuable because it was his livelihood. And if he had an enemy that didn't like him, that enemy would sneak into his area at night and plant terrorists, weeds all throughout because he wanted to devalue the wheat. 
Because if he could get this into that ground, it would pull the, the value of the wheat and cause it to not be as valuable. And I don't know about you, but many of us have been attacked by the enemy in several different ways off and on through our lives. And the reason, one of the reasons is because the enemy sees value in each one of us. And he is trying to do whatever he can to rob us of this value. This is what the enemy does. But I want you to know the battle is between the landowner and the enemy, which is God and the devil. So God thinks that we're valuable. Obviously, the devil thinks that we're valuable, so he's doing whatever he can to try to devalue us. I was thinking of someone who, say, lives on the streets that's homeless, has nothing. You don't never see this person being robbed because whoever's... The thief is, he looks at him and says, well, he's got nothing of value. But when the enemy comes, he sees if you're being attacked, know that it's because you are valuable. And the enemy knows it. And he doesn't want you to understand that you're valuable in the kingdom. You're valuable to God. Amen? That's not my message. I don't know why I needed to share that, but I feel like that's for someone. So if I get emotional, just... Pay no mind. I get emotional a lot. I've been emotional when I've been staying with David's, but no. <laughs> Lord, why? why? No. <laughs> Lord, no, anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love this guy. I really do. I really just love this guy and all that he stands for. Hallelujah. Well, I, I just want to get personal and share something that the Lord has dealt with me quite a while back, probably maybe a year ago. And one morning he woke me up, say around four o'clock. And uh, I didn't know, I just thought, okay. So I went into my living room and I was sitting there. And then suddenly the Lord just speaks to me and he says, son, he said, uh, you've lost your first love. And I said, kind of, what? He said, you've lost your first love. I said, what do you mean? He said, and then he just started showing me and just kind of reminding me. He said, you remember when you used to wake up every morning on your own at 4 o'clock, and you would just worship me and love on me until you had to go to work. And he says, you remember, you would show up to every prayer meeting. And you remember when you would, you would go to the Bible studies and you remember when the church started, you was there early. And you remember when the worship was started, you would be down at the front and you would just weep and worship me. And then something happened. And over a time, it began to slowly, not even where I recognized it. And I said, okay, Lord. I said, you mind if I come down here? I feel like I'm up, okay. So as I was talking to the Lord and, and he started just showing me different things that was in my life, and that I was doing and that I was feeling and that I was going through. Suddenly I said, Lord, how did I get here? 
how did I get to this place in my life where one time I was really in love with you and I didn't, I didn't get up in the morning to seek you for a message or to seek you for, for, I just got up because I was so in love with you. How did, how did, where did I go wrong? What, when did it start? And how did I get to this place in my life to where it almost became a duty? And this is something that God was dealing with me at, at that moment. It was like a father and a son sitting there and having a discussion at four o'clock in the morning. And I said, Lord, how did I get here? And he, he, he said, I'm going to take you many years back and how it started. He said, you let yourself get hurt. I said, who? And he began to speak to me who it was. He says, and at that moment, it, it was like it was nothing, like you could handle it. But you didn't guard something here, and it took, it was like a seed started. And it began to grow, and it began to grow, and it began to grow, and then eventually, slowly, little by little, you began to, your, your, your passion and your love for me began to change. And you begin to try to work for this thing. You begin to try to get up in the mornings to, to pray and read your Bible and to go to church because it was more of a duty than it was because you were so in love with me. You would witness to people because you, you felt this is the religious, this is the Christian duty. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to witness to people. But I lost something, and I didn't even know it. So when he began to share to me this area, you let yourself get hurt. I don't know about anybody in here, but as I've, been, I've been wrestling with this for this morning and yesterday, and I just felt like God said, no, there's some people that has been hurt, and God wants to heal you. Amen? We've let it. In here, we thought we could deal with it. We thought we could overcome it. We didn't even realize it. But slowly in time, it began to cause a shift in our walk with God. It, I, mean, I don't know about you, but can you remember those days when you just woke up and the first thing you'd do is you would just, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't saying, God, get me through the day. It was just, I just so love you, Jesus. So thank you for all that you've done for me to shifting into, Lord, please help me through this day. You know my struggles today. I really need you today. It's, something's changed. This is something that God began to show me. I said, okay, so how do I begin to fix this? And what do I need to do? And he began to take me through this story in the Bible of the prodigal son. And I began to just kind of think about the prodigal son. And I so I I thought, you know, it doesn't really say why the son asked for his inheritance. It just that he asked for his inheritance and wanted to leave. And so I said, so as I was pondering, I said, Lord, did he leave because he saw this lifestyle that he wanted? Or did something happen in his life to where it brought him to that place where he said, I, I just got to get out of here. And you think about this, the, the, his older brother. Obviously, his older brother had issues. 
Because when he did come back, his older brother was jealous about it. So it makes me wonder, I wonder what went on in their relationship as a brother or could be a sister. And what was it that happened that caused this prodigal son, maybe he didn't really have the intention to go live the life that he lived. He was just, something happened. Because I, I can tell you, he did not wake up that morning and go, yo, you know, I think I want my inheritance. I'm just going to go leave and go have a good time. Something took place. Somewhere's here, and it began to slowly begin to work a little by little until one day he just, I think I want my inheritance. You know, back then, those days, uh, if the, the older brother always got double of the inheritance and the younger got just a single, and if the father died before any of them got it, the older brother was then in charge of the inheritance. And he could give it if he wanted to or however it was. And if he had something going on inside him and there was a problem between him and his brothers or sisters, it became a problem. And I thought about this and I thought, I mean, there's no facts in this, but it just was a thought that I had. Did he get hurt by his brother? And did he not know how to deal with it? So he just tried to do the best he could until eventually he was like, I can't do this no more. Give me my inheritance. I got to go. With not the intentions to go live a loose life that it says he did, but maybe that's how it happened. He just... You know, when pain comes in, when hurt comes in, and you begin to wrestle with these things, and you don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to, to let it go, and you try to hide it, and you try to just wrestle with it, you begin to find yourself doing things that you think, I would never have done that before. I would have never said that or thought that or acted that way years ago or before. Why? What's happened? Well, this was a tough process for me that God was taking me through. And I was just saying, God. And of course, I was in tears and I was crying and I was saying, and then he told me who it was that hurt me. It was a brother. And I had to go all the way back to that time and begin to let God deal with it and change it slowly and slowly. Before it got me to a place like the prodigal son, but it was getting me there. I was slowly finding myself compromising when I used to, I was like, no. And then I said, Lord, you've got you've to fix this. You've got to fix this. And you think about the prodigal son, here he is. He's out there living this life. He finally, at some point, he just... I, I don't know, maybe he wasn't intending to live until everything was gone. And he finally got to that place like, I don't even know what to do now. I'm just stuck. I'm stuck in life. I'm just stuck. It's just like the routines every day. I get up in the mornings and sometimes I don't want to get up. And sometimes it'd be easier just to lay in bed. Or sometimes 
It'd just be easier just to say I don't want to do anything with it anymore. It, when it says that he finally came to himself and he was, he was working for this farmer that raised pigs and he was looking to eat this food because he was so hungry, that food those pigs eat, the human body couldn't digest it. After a while, it would have killed them. It makes me think, did he get to a place where he says, I don't even want to live. I'm just tired of it. This is just too difficult to get through. And then I think, okay, so he probably was sitting there thinking, I'm not telling. But then he probably says, you know, I'm really getting hungry. I'm wondering if he went home because he was repentant or if he went home because he was just hungry physically. And he probably thought, okay, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't really want to die, so I got to do something. And, you know, when I read that part and he was making himself or his way home, as I was meditating on that, I just kind of stopped there for a couple of days. And then we was at church. And there was a couple that came into the church that hadn't been there in a while, in quite a while. And they had caused problems before. And I thought, my, this is my thinking. Sure, hope if they're going to come back, they get this thing right. I don't really know if I want them back here, if they're going to have problems. And I'm sure the, the, the father was saying when he did see the son come home, even if he wasn't repentive, he's probably saying, I don't care what's driving him to come home just as long as he's coming home. And when I, I, that's what God spoke to me. He says, it doesn't matter the motive of why they're here. I just want them home. And I was like, I had to ask God to forgive me on that one. It's like, wow. So here's the son, he's coming home. And he's making this story up in his mind. What can I do? What can I say? I'm not, I don't know if I'm really ready to change it. I don't know if I can change, but I sure am hungry. And I've got to make some type of story up. And the scripture says that when he was coming home, the father saw him from afar. And I'm sure the father's probably going every day. Gets out in the morning and goes, Looking for his son. You know, it says that they, when he did come, he says, go get the fatted calf. You don't fatten a calf up overnight. I'm sure when the son decided to leave, the father says, he'll be back. Go get that calf ready. We're going to celebrate when he comes. So start fattening it up now. Every day. And I believe one of the reasons why he was looking for him is because in those days, if someone left in this type of state as his son did, if they came back, the leaders of that city 
would gather him up and bring him before the whole city and they would have this clay pot and they would shatter it at his feet. And it was a symbol of shaming him before the whole city and then excommunicating him where he could never come back. And I'm sure the father's thinking, and he's looking over and seeing those guys holding that clay pot watching as well because they're wanting to shame him. I don't know about you, but when, when we struggle, shame comes. And what does shame do to us? It causes us to excommunicate ourselves, to pull away and to, to break relationships and, and, to, and to close things off and even keep our head down where it's even hard for us to look up to God. And I'm sure the father's watching, thinking, if I, if I don't get to him before shame, and they bring him before this city, I may never see my son. This is all something that God began to show me because once he began to show me some of the compromise that was in my life due to this hurt that I let and caused me to begin to slowly lose my passion and my love for God and begin to live a compromising life. Then this shame kept trying to push me away. And he said, no, I'm not going to let shame push you away or excommunicate you from me or my people. It says that when the father saw him coming from afar, it said the father rolled up his loins, tucked it in, and ran to him. When those days, if you was any person of wealth or any kind, if an older gentleman rolled up his loins and showed his legs and ran, it was a form of shaming himself. He couldn't do it. That's why he had hired hands. They were the ones who was to roll them up and work because that was a form of working. And those are the ones who are supposed to run. But the father did it. To me, it tells me I'm going to take this shame for you, son. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. I just want you home. We'll deal with that later. And I don't know, I just felt like this morning the Lord was showing me that there's some people here that have been hurt. And it's caused you to... to Somewhat pull away from your relationship with God and with people. And there's people here that's dealing with this shame of something in your life or something in your past or something that you can't seem to get past or you think you get past it and then it happens again and, and it causes you to then to lose your relationship with God because you don't feel like you can come into his presence and truly worship him. And God wants to free us from any type of hurt that we've experienced from brothers or sisters in the Lord. And he wants to remove this shame that we carry about. You know, one of the struggles that I had, that I struggled really so much, is when I first got married, or even I'm just going to share a little bit. As a young boy, I was adopted. 
And before that, my real parents would take me and my sister and they would chain us up by our legs in this room and they would lock the door on the outside and they would go do what they did. And my mom was a prostitute and my dad was her pimp. And he would go work my mom while me and my sister was chained up. And then eventually the neighbors came by one day and heard us crying and they looked through the window and they saw us and the police came and got us. And they began to take us through different homes and one home took us and they locked us up in this underground room called a cellar. And we eat food that only dogs would eat. And we drink water out of a bucket for a while. And when they wanted us out, they would get us out and they would abuse us in whatever ways you can imagine, my sister and I. And then eventually I, 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 I get adopted by this family that said they couldn't have kids. And then eventually she gets pregnant, my, my adopted mom. And so she decides, I don't really need these kids anymore. I got my own blooded son now. And so life wasn't very good for us there either. And it just, on and on, just different things. And I developed this pain and this hatred and this anger and, and the spirit of rejection was all over me and the shame was just eating me up because of what others was doing to me. And I remember I got in a lot of trouble when I spent some time in jail, in prison. I started doing drugs when I was 12 years old. I was fighting. I got involved in dealing drugs and shooting at people and being shot at. Lived on the streets, eat out of trash cans, graduated school not knowing how to read. And all this time, this stuff is building this spirit of rejection and spirit of shame. Maybe some of us have done something that's caused us to walk in shame. Maybe some of us have had things done to us that's causing us to experience shame that hinders us from really just loving God and letting him love us. It's some, when you go through things, it's difficult. It really is difficult to let people love you. Where's, where's she at? Yeah, because of fear. I'm afraid if I let you love me, I'm going to get hurt. I don't want, I don't know. God loves me? How? All my life, people has not loved me, and something's wrong with me. Has to be, because everybody I've been involved with didn't want me. That's difficult to deal with. It happens all over the world. Children like this deal with this. I remember after I get out of prison, I go back to my hometown, and I'm walking down the street. I don't know how to read. I got no job. I got no family. I'm eating out of trash cans. I got nothing. And I'm asking God. I'm not even, no, I'm not, excuse me. I'm not asking God. I'm just asking. I got something. I don't know what to do. And suddenly this voice came to me and said, I love you. Of course, I'm like, I don't know what that was. I love you. If you give me your life, I'll change it. I'll teach you how to read. I'll begin to show you how to live. 
I began to heal you of those things little by little. I didn't know nothing about religion. I didn't know there was such thing as Pentecostal churches or Baptist churches or church. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. I just knew I went to the first church that I could go into. It was October 22nd, 1986 at 9.07 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I walked into the first church I saw and I said, with tears in my eyes, I got to get something. I got to get help. I need Jesus. From that day on, my life began to change. I began to experience this love that I've never experienced before. However, I kept pushing it away because I was like, no, I don't. That, that makes me uncomfortable for fear. And then one day, God brings this beautiful woman in my life named Renee Hughes, which is Renee Romero then. And of course, I was excited, but scared. And then right before I get married, God speaks to me and says, I was working at this job, didn't make much money at all. And God says, I knew, I knew, and I didn't want to deal with it, but I knew. He said, I'm going to walk you through some very difficult times, and it ain't going to be easy. But if you'll give me your hand, I'll walk you through it. And when I get married, I'm thinking, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Until I began to experience this love and this from my wife. And I began to reject this love because I was afraid of it. Afraid I was going to get hurt by this love that she was expressing to me. And then suddenly it created this fear. And it created this jealousy. And it created this possessiveness in my life to her. I didn't want to even let her out of my sight because if I did, she's going to be like everybody else and say, you know, he really is a worthless person who doesn't deserve to be loved. I've got to get away from him. And I'd rather be facing this all over again. So I created this just possessiveness of my wife and I was jealous of anybody she talked to or anybody that talked to her based upon this fear that was inside of me and this pain and this, all that was going on. And I remember the day we get married, this prophet came up to my wife at our wedding and he looks at her and he says, I got a word for you. He says, God is going to give you a supernatural double amount of grace to love this man. he's going to need it my wife had every right to leave me during those next few years I was mean I was abusive I broke her arm one time I threw something hit her in the head and blacked her eye I would go and I would get alone and I would just cry and cry and I would ask God I, I I don't know how to get this fixed. I looked for people to help me. There was no one to help me through it. And for, for a long time, I kept going through this, and I kept going through this, and I kept putting my wife through this, and I kept making her feel this way, and I kept driving her away, and I kept calling. Even if she was gone for an hour, I would call, where are you at? What are you doing? 
all because of this that's going on, not knowing that God really wanted to heal it. God really wanted to take care of this. Little by little. And I remember one time, I, I, as I was crying out to God, God just spoke to me and he said, I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this. And I'm going to need you to pay attention and to obey me when I tell you what to do on a daily basis. And if you'll do this, it will begin to, you begin to experience freedom in this. And one of the first things he did is he said, I don't want you to feed that insecurity anymore. For example, when I would be at work and suddenly I'd have this insecure feeling like she's done gone or about to leave. And I hear I'm about to experience this pain. I would want to go call her just to check, make sure. And God would tell me, he said, why are you calling her? I say, I try to make up this excuse like, well, I need to ask her a question. He said, no, you're calling her because of that fear. And you're feeding that insecurity. And the more you feed it, the stronger it will become. And it will become more difficult for you to be free from it. You have to begin to starve it. And so little by little, I began this process of listening and obeying God to walk me through this process until it took probably a year where I experienced this victory in my relationship with my wife and what was going on here and was actually able to then let God love me. Amen? I don't know who that's for in here, but I believe there's some people who probably need to hear that. God is in the business of healing us, and sometimes we... We don't let him do these things through our Christian life and we keep experiencing certain struggles and certain insecurities and certain battles of whatever it is. And it's due because God is wanting not to get onto us or to punish us, but to heal us and to change what's going on inside here and to free us from some things that we can walk in this greater victory and this greater this liberty and where we can actually sit down with God in the mornings and just really, truly have a love relationship with God. Instead of just going through a time where we just read and pray, sing, go to church, but never really let God just love us. I don't know who that's for, but I believe that is. Anyways, that's my life story of what God has been doing in me. He's still working in me in several things and bringing healing and bringing deliverance and, and showing me tremendous things about who he is as a father, not just as Lord, not just as Savior, but as my father. You think about that prodigal son. When the father said, took that robe and said, bring the robe, I'm convinced that he probably took that robe and covered his son completely to hide him from shame. 
It's like God just totally did away with shame. There's some people here that's wrestling with shame, that struggle with it daily. You think of, I think of this story when Adam and Eve and God walking through the cool of the day in the garden and Adam was hiding. You know, I used to read this as, okay, Adam had failed. God knew it. God's wanting to go through there. And he's saying, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to see his own sinful state. And that may be true. But I wonder if possible that there was a place and a time every day where Adam and God met for just intimacy. Every day at a certain time, at a certain place, and here comes God walking through the cool of the day to meet with Adam at that certain place. And when he gets there, he's like, it's just not like Adam. He's always here. Adam, I don't care. I mean, I know you've done something wrong, but I miss our relationship. I miss this fellowship. Where are you at? Let's get back in here and fellowship. We'll fix this problem. Don't hide behind the bushes for shame. Amen. Hallelujah. He loves us. He loves us. He really, really loves us. I'm praying every day for even a greater revelation of this. I'm convinced that if we want to renew our love for him, we have to review his love for us. That will change you. It will change you. So I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for how you're changing us. I thank you for this word. I thank you for that you, you, you really are after bringing us to a deeper intimacy with you by freeing us from those things that we've allowed in our lives, from those hurts, from those pains, from those fears, from that shame, so that we can come closer and closer because that's what you're wanting more than anything else. And I pray, Father God, and everybody in here and those who you are speaking to with this, you would really just pour your love out on them. In Jesus' name. Now, I know many of you will.